water. Allergies don't stand a chance. Pray with me, please. Glorify yourself through our weakness, Lord. Show the world you are the only option to life. Proclaim your message through this church and through your faithful churches where it needs to go. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to be a, a little more Christ-like by what we learned today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bob Dylan won a Grammy Award for a song that he wrote several years back. It's called Gotta Serve Somebody. And the lyrics of that song says, you may be an ambassador to England or France. You might like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You might be a socialite with a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil. It may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And this was Bob Dylan's first release after he became a Christian. And it deals with his faith as he was trying to find the meaning of life through serving God. Well, John Lennon of the Beatles was embarrassed about that song, so he wrote a song that countered that song, and he called it Serve Yourself. It was filled with cursing and foul language, but John Lennon expressed the non-Christian viewpoint by saying this, well, there's something missing in the, in the God Almighty stew. You gotta serve yourself. Ain't nobody gonna do it for you. Well, Bob Dylan and John Lennon were both commenting on Jesus' words when he said, no one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And it's the Bible that repeatedly says, one time it says in the Old Testament by Joshua, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And we will all serve somebody. The first half of Romans chapter 6, if you brought your Bibles, we're in Romans chapter 6. The first half was about how Paul describes grace and the way we need to access that grace. And there, Paul clearly laid out, as he did with all of his churches, the purpose of Christian baptism. And we see baptism supported by the Apostle Peter on Pentecost, and it was the practice of the early church. Yet, many churches omit scriptures regarding baptism that conflicts with their theology. Peter said in 2 Peter 3.16, you, my friends, already know this, be on your guard then, so you will not be led away by the errors of lawless people and fall from your safe position. And there are those who say it's impossible to fall from our safe position in Christ, even though Peter teaches otherwise. In fact, Peter, in some detail, says that some Christians will return to the filth, the, excuse my language, the vomit, and the, uh, the mud of living in their previous life. He said in 2 Peter 2.20, people can know our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and escape from the world's filth. But if they get involved again in this filth and give in to it, they're worse off than they were before. 
It would have been better for them never to have known the way of life that God approves of than to know it and turn their backs on the holy life God told them to live. These proverbs have come true for them. A dog goes back to its vomit. A sow that's been washed goes back to roll in the mud. Well, at the end of the first section, the first half of Romans chapter 6, it ends with these words in verse 13. Do not let any part of your body become instruments of evil to serve sin. Sin is no longer your master. You can, you got to serve somebody. Just don't serve sin. And then he continued on the second half of Romans 6 in verse 15. And it's just a little bit different than the question he asked himself rhetorically in verse 1. Since we're no longer under the Old Testament law, well, are we free to sin then? Verse 15, he says, well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Now, verse 1, he asked, since we're free from sin because of God's grace, can we continue to sin? And now he's asking, since we're not under the Old Testament laws, can we continue to sin? We've already seen what happens when no laws are enforced. Turn on the news. You don't have to look farther than the lawless cities of America. And it is today as it was in the past. Judges 17.6 says, In those days, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. Proverbs 16.25, There's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. And Proverbs 12, 15, fools think their way is right. And vigilante justice, you've seen, will fall on anyone that the mob disagrees with. And feelings will take precedence over facts, over history, and over God. The New Testament talks about lawlessness, and Jesus said the days we're living in now will be the same as before he returns again. Matthew 24, 12, there will be more and more lawlessness. Most people's love will grow cold. He says the Son of Man will send out his angels. They'll weed out of his kingdom every cause of sin and all who practice lawlessness. 1 John 3, 4, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. You know that Jesus came to take away our sins. Anyone who continues... To live in him will not sin. Anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him. That kind of makes me uncomfortable. How about you? If you are living in Jesus, you're not going to continue practicing sin. And anyone who chooses to keep on sinning doesn't know him. And what impact should those words have on us the next time we're considering slipping back to our old ways? Bible says in Galatians 5.16, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. When we're saved, we're not comfortable anymore with sinning because we've been saved and transformed from the inside out. 2 Corinthians 5.15 says anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new Christian. The old life is gone. Unfortunately, many even Christians, go back to the old life. And we are slaves to the one we obey, Paul says in 
verse 16, don't you realize you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. You can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Now, in Paul's day, uh, there were somewhere between a third and a half of the people of Rome, uh, they were slaves. People who were in debt could voluntarily sell themselves into slavery in order to earn enough to pay off their debts. And it's like the Old Testament says, the borrower is slave to the lender. And many times when the slave would finally pay off their debts, they'd go right back into debt again and back into slavery. September 22nd, 1862, which is 158 years ago next month, Abraham Lincoln issued an executive order called the Emancipation Proclamation. It would go into effect January 1st, 1863, and slaves were proclaimed forever free. It changed the status and lives of more than three and a half million slaves. Newspaper headlines proclaimed that slavery is legally abolished. A newspaper reporter asked an Alabama slave about what he thought about that. And the slave says, I don't know nothing about Abraham Lincoln except they say he set us free. And I don't know nothing about that neither. Slaves were set free, but most continued to live the lives they were familiar with, and they remained slaves for the rest of their lives. Christians are set free, yet many continue to live like slaves of Satan. They accepted Christ, but they won't give up their drugs, their alcohol, sexual immorality, or lifestyles condemned by God and that they were set free from. Bible says in Titus 3.3, we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, and wrong. We were slaves to passions and pleasures of all kinds. We spent our lives in malice and envy. Others hated us, and we hated them. Galatians 4 verse 8, when you didn't know God, you were slaves to things. Now you know God, rather God knows you. So how can you turn back again to the powerless and bankrupt principles of this world? Why do you want to go become their slaves all over again? In fact, it was Jesus who says, whoever lives a sinful life is a slave to sin. And it's very likely that a third to half of the members of First Christian Church of Rome were or had been slaves in the past, so they would have known the potentials, uh, the potential evils of slavery. Some had been kidnapped, others captured in war. Others owed debts that they couldn't repay. Others at one point were starving and destitute and living on the streets and they would sell themselves for room and board. But once their bellies were full, they wouldn't leave. They forfeited their freedom forever. They gave up their rights. They were treated with impunity by their owners. There's a, another kind of slave called a bondservant. Bondservant is someone who voluntarily serves their master. And God allowed for this process to take place and explains it in Exodus 21 verse 5. If the slave declares that he loves his master and does not want to be set free, then his master shall take him 
to the place of worship. There he's to make him stand against the door or the doorpost and put a hole through his ear. Then he will be his slave for life. See, they voluntarily serve not because of law, but because of love. And many great people of God through the scriptures were called God's servants. Abraham, Joshua, David, Isaiah, Jesus, Paul, Timothy, James, Peter, Jude are all called bondservants. And they were called this because they renounced all other masters and served only the Lord. So what is slavery? And Paul gets into this. And whether it's voluntary or involuntary, slavery is whatever we give ourselves to. Verse 16, don't you know, if you offer to be someone's slave, you must obey that master. When we give ourselves completely to someone or something, we're not free any longer. We're a servant to anything that we submit ourselves to. If we serve Christ, we're going to go out of our way to find out how to please our master. And if Satan ever comes up with a deal for us, we need to quote Jesus in one of the temptations in the wilderness. Jesus said to him, go away, Satan, scripture says, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. You might have heard that phrase, show, don't tell. Well, our actions show who our real master is, no matter if we say we're a Christian or not, it's our lives. And ultimately, there's only two to choose from, two masters. Paul says in verse 16, you can choose sin with death or obedience with acquittal. The one to whom you offer yourself, he'll take you and be your master and you will be a slave. At one time, all of mankind was a slave to sin but God provided a way out so that we could serve a new master. And Jesus tried to explain this to self-righteous actors, hypocrites, religious people, and they responded in John 8:33, we've never been anyone's slaves. How can you say that we'll be set free? Jesus answered them, I guarantee this truth, whoever lives a sinful life is a slave to sin. If we decide to leave a life of sin that leads to death and hell, only then can we become a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Sin, obedience, Satan, God, heaven, hell are all opposites. And all of these things are at war with each other and we are caught smack dab in the middle. The message paraphrase of Ephesians 6.12 words it like this stand up to everything the devil throws your way this is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about in a couple of hours this is for keeps it's life or death it's a fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels be prepared you're up against far more than you can handle on your own take all the help you can get every weapon God has issued so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. There is no neutral zone. The battle lines are drawn, and you know as well as I, God will win. And anyone who belongs to him and does what he commands will win. Jesus said, no one can serve both sides. 
You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't have it both ways. Choose Jesus. And what we do proves who we serve. Actions speak louder than words. Jesus said of religious pretenders in Matthew 23, 3, don't do what they do. They do not practice what they preach. He said in Matthew 7, 20, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. Matthew 7, 21, not all who sound religious are really godly people. They may refer to me as Lord, but still won't get into heaven. The decisive question is whether they obey my Father in heaven. At the judgment, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we told others about you, but I'll reply, you've never been mine. Go away, for your deeds are evil. 1 John 2, 4, the person who says, I know him, but doesn't obey his commandments is a liar. The truth isn't in that person. Whoever obeys what Christ says is the kind of person in whom God's love is perfected. That's how we know we're in Christ. Those who say that they live in him must live the same way he lived. What we do will prove who we serve. And there's a progression to sin that Paul explains. He says, you all start out as slaves to sin. This is verse 17. And he's speaking of their past tense, BC, before Christ, lives. You used to be slaves of sin, he said. They made an eternal decision where they decided to leave that broad path to leave, that leads to hell and take the narrow path that leads to life. They escaped slavery by obeying God. And he says in verse 17, I thank God that you've become wholeheartedly obedient to the teachings which you were given. And the Greek literally says, you wholeheartedly obeyed the mold of teaching that, that's in our text. And it was a word that used to describe molten metal that's poured into a cast to come up with an exact replica of the original. Christians are being poured into the mold of Christ through obeying his teachings. And that old mold of the world was broken. We are constantly being shaped in the image of Christ. And that word is used in, in Romans 12, verse 2. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. Let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good. He's reshaping us by the mold of his word. After we escape slavery, Christ declared us free. Verse 18, you've been freed from sin. When I looked at this, I remembered of uh, Peter being freed from a jail. That's in Acts, the 12th chapter, the first half of Acts 12. Peter was in prison. He was sleeping between two soldiers, and he was bound in chains. Guards were at the front door. An angel of the Lord woke Peter up and told him to follow, and I'm sure he must have been thinking that he was having a dream. Peter obeyed, and the chains fell off, the Bible says. He followed the angel through a route through the cell. He passed two guard posts, and he came to a locked iron gate. And the gate opened all by itself, just like the supermarket. When Peter came to his senses, the 
angel disappeared and it says that he praised God for his deliverance. Well, here's a spoiler alert. God still opens locked doors. He still helps us navigate impossible obstacles. He sets us free when we obey him. And why would Paul use this illustration of slavery? Well, he says why. Verse 19, because of the weakness of your human nature, I'm using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. See, the Bible needs to be communicated in relevant contemporary ways, and slavery would be completely understood by Paul's audience. It was widespread throughout Rome and had multi-layers in its ramifications. These Roman Christians would have uh, had mental pictures, even as they read this, of their previous lives as slaves. And some of those listeners may have been contemplating going back into slavery again. But what else could they do with their debts if they couldn't pay them? And wouldn't it be wonderful if someone would pay the debts for them? And then he drives home the point of this illustration in verse 19. He says, at one time, you surrendered yourselves entirely as slaves to impurity and wickedness for wicked purposes. He says, you were once slaves to a terrible life, and you were, you were obeying the satanic master's bidding. But God provided a way out, a way of escape. And you know as well as I, the universal of surrender raised hands. And that's why we sing all to Jesus, I surrender. Humbly at his feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus, take me now. I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. And sin is never satisfied. It has a voracious appetite. He says in verse 19, impurity and lawlessness led ever deeper into sin. It always wants more territory. It, it always pushes the boundaries. And by the way, that, that's, that statement, pushing the boundaries, that's, that's out of the Bible. We stole it from there. Hosea 5.10 says, Like those who move boundary stones, I will pour out my wrath on them. See, landowners would uh, put stones to mark out their boundaries of their farms. And evil people would come out at night, which they still do, and they did this because they didn't want to be seen. They would move the stones just a little bit so that their properties would get bigger and bigger over time. Grass would grow around the new spot, and they'd come out and move it a little farther. And that's exactly like sin is. It pushes the boundaries of what used to be right until our conscience adjusts to that new boundary. And what what once caused terrible guilt becomes a new normal. It's accepted as not so bad. God says he's going to pour out his wrath on them. Sin knows no boundaries. It grows. It leads ever deeper into sin. But righteousness also grows. Verse 19, in the same way, you must now surrender yourselves entirely as slaves of righteousness for holy purposes. See, sin looks for opportunities to serve self. Righteousness looks for opportunities to serve God. We really shouldn't have a shortage of workers in the church. 
Because Paul said in Ephesians 6, 6, as slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember, the Lord will reward each of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. So what do we take away? We need to do the things God says leads to holiness and eternal life. Paul says in verse 20, when you were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. What was the result? You're now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you're free from the power of sin and have become slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and a result in eternal life. And that's why we should pray with David in Psalm 119.39, help me abandon my shameful ways. One of the most famous verses in the entire Bible is verse 23, the end of this text. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And last week I said something that's now on our church sign out front. If the wages of sin is death, shouldn't you quit before payday? Pray with me, please. Abba, Father, we are your children. We don't really know why you'd want to have a relationship with us, but you do. We don't even like ourselves most of the time. But Christ died for us to make us right with you. So let us not take that lightly and entertain sin in our lives. Jesus died so that we would choose him over that sin. Forgive us, Lord. Put our feet on the narrow path that leads to life and help us help others make the same decision. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said.